Hello everybody and welcome back to what is episode 5 of the Mindside podcast with me Robert Seaborn, James Moorhen and for the very first time Dr Dave Alder. We three are delighted to be joined by ex-policeman Ben Pearson. Now Ben is a retired traffic cop, so he's an ex-bobby or an ex-policeman and probably best known actually for being on the police interceptor program on channel five um amazing insight into ben's career his job what it what it involved um you know the years that he was a a traffic cop but more importantly now ben talks about um, mental health and he's a massive advocate of mental health and ptsd Um, and aligned to that he's actually now written his first book it's out on amazon it's an amazon bestseller uh, with the title of handcuffed emotions and as well, um, he's got a YouTube channel where they had over a thousand subscribers in a week. Six weeks later, they've got uh, 24,000 subscribers and almost a million views. So this is a, a retired traffic cop who is now making big waves um, after his career in, in, the, in the police force. As always, uh, we'd just like to say a massive thanks to our uh, sponsors, Fuel Hub quality of their meals are outstanding really like eating um, restaurant quality meal at the fraction of a price um, I've had them for a number of years now and, and can't recommend them enough yeah so if you are interested in me Dave and James delving into the mind of Ben as an ex-policeman some of the trials and tribulations he's been through on both at a professional and personal level then stay tuned to the next hour uh, because it's a fascinating listen and if you like what you hear Um, and you want to hear more of us, then head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or online, and simply search for the Mindside Podcast, where there's many more episodes to listen to. And we will always appreciate a like, a share, and would welcome any feedback. So for now, kick back and enjoy the next hour. Okay, so good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome back to another episode of the Mindside Podcast with me, Robert Seaborn. Um, James Moorhen, who you've all heard before, and for the first time in the series, we're welcomed by Dr. Dave Older, who some of you may know from behind the scenes, but has um, braved up to come on and uh, share some of his words of wisdom on an episode today. And we are, all three of us, absolutely delighted to welcome um, onto the episode Ben Pearson, who's a former police officer, who's going to be talking to us through some critical moments through his career and personal life and kind of how they affected him, what they meant. Um, and we're going to be analysing kind of his journey, really. So, Ben, uh, good morning. Thanks for coming on. Good morning to you all. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, no, we um, just before we kind of come off air, on air, sorry, we all said how busy your schedule is. So we're very uh, appreciative of you spending some time uh, chatting with us this morning. No, it's my pleasure, pal. Anything I can do to help, I will do. So, yeah, uh, I'm all yours it. for the next hour and a half or however long you want me. <laughs> Cracking. So, um, obviously, us three all know you quite well. We've done our research and we've spoken a couple of times over the last few weeks. But for those people out there who aren't quite as familiar, perhaps, with yourself, um, can you just give a background, really, on kind of who you are and where you've come from and all that sort of jazz, please? Yeah, I, I'm Ben Pearson. I've uh, 19 years in West Yorkshire Police as part of the Road Policing Unit, and I retired in October last year, so October 2020. Um, in that time, I was filmed for the Channel 5 TV show Police Interceptors, and I, I don't want to say starred in series, it featured in series 15, 16, 17, and a bit of 18 when it was filmed in West Yorkshire. Um, at that time, it went ballistic and one of the most highest viewed programs on Channel 5, so to speak. So it shot the officers that were filming it into like a, a realm of, um, I wouldn't even say it were a, a Z-list celebrity, but it was just this bottom up run thing where you kept on getting stopped and asked for your photo and your autograph when you're yeah. in most likely places like <laughs> in the toilet at a nightclub in Leeds or somewhere like that, you'd be signing an autograph. So it, it was bizarre. Um, in October, I, I retired because I was diagnosed with uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, severe depression and anxiety. Mm. Um, this uh, has been caused basically by 19 years of just 
the standard of what you call police work you tended the, the the fatal collisions the, the the dead children the um the suicides the everything that you, you you come across and in that time as well um i lost my parents very close together so my mum went in for an operation 11 days later i'll go through all this with you but 11 days later we'll turn the life spot off uh, within two weeks of a funeral, the first day I returned back at work, I went to a, a traumatic incident with a two-year-old boy that had been killed. And then within six months later, my dad told me I'd terminal cancer. And all this was just um, a snowball effect, which just rolled downhill and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it got to a point where I went to a simple job and I broke. Uh, you melt down, whatever you want to call it, that's what I have. Since retiring, I wrote a book called Handcuffed Emotions, which was inspired by my therapist. Um, because I suffer from dyslexia, I struggled to do some sort of things. And because of a car crash I had in 2000, I think it were 11, uh, I struggled sometimes. I'm left-handed, so I struggled to hold pen. So he advised me to do some typing. So I sat down and did some typing. And for that I'm the most unlikely person ever uh, to do anything like this. It, it, it's just led into a book. The book were released, it's sold worldwide, it went to Amazon bestseller list. Um, and it's just gone, it's gone ballistic from there. So now we're doing podcasting, we've got a YouTube channel. Um, and my journey now is literally trying to help people uh, having a minimum standards of um, mental health training for officers, staff. And I'm, I'm not hell bent on. Um, I am this person now and I've got this role to do, but I want to just try and guide people so they don't do or have what I've got, or this is hard for me to say now, so they, they don't struggle how I struggle. They don't, because yeah. I, I think if I haven't had the support I've had, I, I, I can see why people do what lives or self-harm because I'm only who I am now because of the infrastructure I've got around me. So I'm trying to relay that on people. So if they haven't got people, how to be able to cope, what to be able to do, who to reach out to and who to help. So, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. So um, if I've if I, if I bored you already, <laughs> I'll get me back and I'll go. So no, I'll no, no. Me. That's um, quite, quite the introduction. And um, actually, just going right back to the start, the reason I think Dave's decided to come on and speak on this episode is he's the world's biggest fan of police interceptors and I think you'll go into more detail now so um, yeah I was gonna I was gonna open with an apology for asking for your autograph in that toilet in the nightclub then um, <laughs> what about you uh, no comment so so um would you be able to unpick um the critical moment or the, the moment you describe as breaking point in a bit more detail for us um, yeah right what, what I'll do then so if you think about the the effects that Bobby and has, so every job is never dealt with to its entirety. So what we'll do, if we go to a fatal, we'll deal with the fatal, we'll lock up, and then it's pushed to either the major collision team or it'll push to be CID or it'll push. So you never really deal with something in its full entirety, what you used to do when you were, um, say, 10, 15 years ago. So you've got all that basis, like, haunting you in a way so to speak all the time it never leaves you so you might deal with a girl one day a six-year-old girl that's lost an arm and a leg and then the next day when it's handed on you don't hello is that julia can i have an update on on jennifer you do you see what i mean you just crack on and Mm -hmm. the next day you've got little billy then who's been more so you've got this circle of things going around that you never put to bed or deal with so you've got that on you all the time for everything through 19 years and like i said to someone the other day if you think about and i'd never take any anything away from anyone in armed forces but you think about some soldiers might go on one tour of afghanistan two tours and then come back with ptsd and they serve six months doing the tour um you, you 365 days a year for 19 years of just constant negativity not constant pushing constant rubbish constant hatred people wanting to kick you in the face when you're on the floor people trying to stab you from your throat. So it, it, it just came one New Year's Day, I rung my dad and I just said, how are you doing? And he told me about uh, my mum, she'd just gone straight into hospital. Um, so I'm already carrying his backpack and it turned out I, her stomach had burst in night New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, she rushed into hospital. 
and she went under for about, I think it was about a, a, a 10 hour operation. Um, it was something and nothing, she was going to be released in a few days time. Uh, this just basically went on and on and on. And then 11 days later, sorry, 10 days later, I was the last person to sit with her. We had a bit of a chat. She was upright in bed on ICU and that sort of thing. Uh, and it were all going good. We were hoping to get released with next day. So um, six o'clock that morning, getting all my gear on at work, getting ready to crack on, phone rings. And my dad says to me, Ed Elabasters to come in. I know instantly what that means because this is the job I deal with all the time. When someone contacts me, I know, I know what's already gone on. I get blue lighted over, I meet my dad and my brother. Uh, and if I do get upset, just bear with me and stuff like that. Um, and one of the sorry, one of the signs of my illness as well, I, I, I can start to struggle talking. So I might start with some words or take up to breath. So take whatever time you need. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing to be like, hey, what's going on with him? It's just part of what I and then yeah. the coping mechanisms I've got. So the, um, we went in and basically the doctors have said she, she went at night, we've done everything we can do. Um, we've pumped her full of everything to keep her alive until you've got here. Um, you need to make a decision. So I told my dad and my brother, they still didn't sort of like understand fully um, because you don't, do you? It's like if you were there and your best mate were there and I said, look, he's gone. Mm. No, it's not. He's still breathing. Mm. No, they can't. You you, what you don't see is, you see, you see the visual aspect, but you don't see what's gone on behind the scenes. Mm. And then I took dots at one side, told him, well, what I do? And he just said, if you don't mind, I'm let it go. So we went round the bed, turned her off, gave her a and a kiss, and then within a couple of seconds, she, she'd gone. So this is all your life is here. And 11 days later, it's gone to this little bit here. And you're thinking, can I swear? Do I, I mean, is this a, is this a politically correct Express show? yourself how you'd like, if, if it helps. <laughs> um, but I like, I, I, I was my life gone so bad so quickly. Um, it was just a whirlwind of stuff, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to do things. And the trauma I'm already carrying on my back, like I said before, it's like my rucksack. Um, It's hard in a way to explain yeah. stuff. Um, uh, you still want me to continue? No, I think. Uh, no, no. If, if you want me, I'll go. I'll go right. I'll within two weeks at funeral, I go back to work and I'm told to go and hide in a car. Um, now, me personally, this is where my thing comes up. I wouldn't have deployed the officer. I'd have said stay in station for a mm. week. Walk around, have a chocolate bar, mm. watch some TV, get to grips with being back in uniform. Yeah. You've had a major trauma. So I go, and I've got a favourite place to go. So I go, sit in a favourite place, and I'm contemplating life as you do. I'm looking at thoughts my mum and dad. And call comes in, um, and basically, there's two traffic cops already on, but they're just too far away. And when the grid men, they can look on GPS and find out where you are. And unbeknown to me, I'm literally 200 metres away from scene. So they asked me to go, I ignored radio for the first couple of attempts. They asked me to go, I'm shouting and screaming in my car, and rocking backwards and forwards, pulling on the steering wheel. I don't want to go, and I go. And they said, just go in first instance, other officers on the way to you, they'll back you up. Get there and you can just go off. Roll around the corner, cars are all funneled, out of the go, everyone's saying, come through, come through, go through. And just as I'm literally on the scene, control room, shut up, I said, don't go, Ben, it's a child fail. I get there, there's a 44-ton, 18-wheeler truck in road, and 100 metres behind it, or whatever it is, there's a two-year-old boy in road with no head. Uh, get out of the car, start crying. Start walking towards the little boy, and all I can describe it is like an elastic band across your chest, pulls and pulls and pulls, and it snaps. You can feel it inside you go. It's like your cartilage is, is popped. Just started crying, didn't know where I was, didn't know what I'm doing, and I got removed from the scene. That was a sort of like, mm. that, that was sort of like impact point. Yeah. That makes sense. After uh, left in an office, um, just crying, dealing with it myself, and um, had to do the paperwork, just got told to do the paperwork, went home next day, 
came on the next day, same again, job again, job, 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 fail, 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 fail. And you just ne- get, you, you have no time to breathe, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get no time to come. You haven't even dealt, I haven't even dealt with my mum. Mm. And now I've got this trauma, and, this, and each trauma is pushing the other one down and down yeah. and down. And dad sits me down, says, I've got terminal cancer, my dad's my best friend, it's my soulmate, I've got six months to live. Christmas time, we're all in his hands. I think it was 35th January. Uh, he died with me and my brother by his side. And I can't remember how much time I had for work. I think it were two months. Get back. Fail, fail, fail. Jeez. You know what I mean? Negative, negative, fail, fail. And you just do what all coppers do. You put your head in sand, put your chin up, crack on. There's nothing wrong with me. But then you start noticing little things going on with yourself. Lack of appetite, lack of sleep. Uh, drain, lethargy, mm. all lads going upstairs to meal, me sitting down at my computer on my own, having a bit of a time, don't want to be bothered, just leave me alone. Little little telltale signs that now I can turn around and say, this is you, you've got an issue. Mm. You need to put your hand up. And this has gone on then for, I can't remember how long it was afterwards, probably about a year afterwards, me and my colleague, baby Ben, just got to a bump, get out of bump, and soon as they open the car door, step out, something and nothing, bump, little cut in his hand. Uh, it goes, so you call it your breakdown, your mental flick, uh, your mental switch flicking, uh, lost it, do lolly tap, uh, mad as a fish, whatever you want to call it, well, however people want to say things, gone, didn't know what, didn't know what we're doing, I knew I were in uniform and I knew there were police car there, but that were it, didn't know all. Just crying, crying all the time, and I was sent straight to my emergency appointment with my GP, and basically just said, Simple fact is your head's gone. Referred me straight to the mental health trauma unit at Shipley. They said you're too complicated for us to deal with. Sent me to another specialist. Again, he says you're too far too complicated to deal with. And then um, I had a few trauma sessions through the Hockey Health at work. But they, again, um, far too short yeah. sessions. It were only six mm. sessions. And then um, the NHS specialist consultant for me and says we want to take you on so i'm now permanent long-term care with nhs uh, and i've been for i want to say two years now yeah um see him every week and it's just it's it just that, that's it i i i, I am the, the only way i can describe it is you everyone lives on a level and you are all on this level i am beneath that level and i have a lot of medication and therapy to keep me just below that level on that line yeah. there and i'm happy being under that line knowing where i am mm. i'm never going to be on top so when people this is what really winds me up when people see you laughing or joking they're always like but how can you joke you're below that level and you're thinking oh hang on a second i'm below that level but i can still have fun on that level i can still smile on that level but i can't stop taking the medication yeah i can't stop i can't have my normal life i can't go do X, Y, and Z anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm under that level, but I'm happy to be on that level because I know in my head this is where I need to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way, the way I see, it, if I, I, and I'm being honest with you, uh, when people say, "Oh, you, you bred for this," cut me through the middle, and you'll say traffic officer and uh, and this sort of thing. Um, I always thought this is what I'm designed to do. This is who I am. This is what I, what I was bred to do in life. This is my legacy I'm leaving. But I honestly think now. I'm a, a bit of a weak ass individual and I've been pretending to be a copper for the last 19 years and I shouldn't have pretended as long as what I did. Um, and I, I acted tough, I acted brave, uh, I acted a certain way and I shouldn't have done, I should have just known when my body and my mind is telling me, you know, I, is this really for you? Do you think really you should do? No, 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 I want to drive 150 miles now. I want to wrestle that burger. I love having a knife thrust in my face and I'm rolling around in mud and, and this sort of thing. And yeah, and then whoa, I'll go to office and all that, so high-fiving. And, and I'm probably one of those people that I've been wearing me out of my sleeve. And if you call me something, I'd get a little bit upset. You'd mm, see them in face. Yeah, and yeah. I should have basically said then at that moment in time, I'm not right sure this is for me, but yeah. I just pushed on and pushed on. And everyone's got the breaking point and I found mine. But I think it's hard for people to accept because they can't see with a cast on. They can't see you in a wheelchair or they can't see you on yeah. a ventilator. You're not poorly. Yeah. But this up here doesn't work like yours works. You, you, 
my my thought plan, my my memory, it goes in and goes out. Uh, my ability to um, how can I put it? Um, like now, there's it's 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 sawdust. It's grey matter. It's these. I react to your questions, yeah. but I cannot. I will not be able to formulate a question to you or something. It's just it's just not there. It's like I've gone back to basics, and do you know what I mean? And it's and I'm happy that it's gone back to basics because I think sometimes life moves too fast. Sometimes life's complicated. You see all these people walking around, bye bye, sell sell. I need to do this. I've got no time to do it. And as I was just explaining to you, um, how complicated my life is, um, and how hard I'm, I'm at, but if you think about it, oh, people go, well, that's not complicated at all. I've just done. A ten million pound deal, and I've just employed four thousand people, and I've just got this infrastructure set up. Yeah, but this is why I'm under your level. I'm I'm on a base under that, and I'm living a simpler life. And where I'll give you another example where I used to drive. I could drive, and I'd know what my car was doing. And I'd know what your car was doing, and I'd also be hundred miles an hour approaching you from behind, and I could overtake you without you even knowing I was there, and I can pass you because I could see what your car was going to do and I'd look into distance I could be looking two miles in front analysing every single car on the way down going past those cars before those drivers even know that I'm there and now all I do is I get in my car and I'm one of those people that enter the steering wheel and I look up on it and someone could walk out and I'd be like 10 foot away and I'd go ooh but when you think why don't you see that well I don't I can't think that far in front so I've gone to a simpler way of driving does that make sense yeah I've gone a I'll only have one pen in my pencil case. It's simpler that way. I'll only do two lines. When I write something, it's only simple that way. I'll come down in the morning, there's post-it notes in the house. There's eyelashes left in there. It's simpler that way. I don't mm. confuse myself with stuff. Um, I can't confuse myself. I confuse myself with stuff too much. I end up in bed for three days. That's what people just don't see about the illness. Yeah, yeah. I think it, just quickly, that reinf- it reaffirms the whole idea that everybody's incredibly unique and everybody's scenarios are incredibly unique. And what you were just describing there about being in a police car going 100, 120, 30 miles an hour would scare the living daylights out of most people. And yet you're able to navigate that whole scenario and articulate and describe it where other people would, you know, be scared shitless almost. But something that somebody else finds incredibly, like either simple or easy or whatever, other people find difficult. and. I think it's just it just shows how unique the mind is. Just everybody you meet has just got a completely unique story and situation and whatever. Um, yeah, that that's what struck struck for me there. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, Robin. Just um, just building on something that you said a little bit earlier, Ben, with you having obviously stress after stress after stress on the day job. Was there anything that the that the police um, put in place in between shifts for you? Or in between incidents, or anything that allowed you to almost decompress from those from those incidents, or was it literally it, it, it hands and back? Yeah, it doesn't work like it's literally. It's like imagine right. The only way I can describe stuff is by doing um, visual imprints or or, 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 or or So imagine an heavyweight boxer doing fighting Mike Tyson for twelve rounds, and then it comes out ring, and you say, "Oh, are you meant to get sit in a cold bath and get some physio, and are you meant to like have six months off and recoup and go training." Well, imagine him just going to bed and then getting up next day and then doing another 12 rounds and then going home, having a shitty tea, a pizza, then doing another 12 rounds. And you're thinking, yeah, but you're a world champion boxer. And just going to bed. And it's like that. You're in an emergency service. And this is how bad it is in police. When you have a bit of a cough or a cold or you feel that you've got a bit of a man fluid thing like that, you still go in because... You want to help people. But as soon as you get in the office, people are like, well, what are you doing in? Go sick. You're not going to be no up and all you do is spread your books around. Yeah, but I'm still well enough to drive a car and I'm still well enough to put cuffs on and chase someone. So you feel bad for not going in. So what you're not going to do is you're not going to turn around to your mates and you're not. And this is the what I'm trying to bring across to people. You're not going to turn around and say, I'm, I'm really upset about this today. It's, it's, really, it's really hurt me. Because they just look at you and go, and it's not that that's a downside on them because that's what I do and that's what 
because she's like, well, you're in this job as as driving this police car and dealing with the collisions. She's, if you don't want it, go sit in the control room, go sit in the, or join soccer or do this, or go sit in a, a, a room where you just filing, filing things away, counting paper clips and stuff. So you, you're in that, it's like, you can't, there's no gap, there's no, there's no stop gap. Too early, it's too late, it's two nights, four days off. Too early, it's too late, it's two nights, four days off. And it's just a conveyor belt. And then it, it doesn't stop. Your life doesn't stop. And it's not that fact that they'll say, there could be people listening and they said, yeah, but that's what you joined for. Well, it is what I joined for. But what I'm, I'm trying to say to people now is there's so many things you could do that don't cost any money, that don't cost any more time, that just make life simpler and easy for you. Do you know what I mean? Having that, having that thing of where, so I don't know where you, you work, where it's like when you walk into your office, but we walked into our office, right, who's making brews, someone would put their hand up and make brews, someone might just bring buns in or cakes in or biscuits in. You just do stuff randomly like that. But what they should have done is, right, has anyone got any issues from yesterday? And everyone was like, no. You know, mm. check out my arms, you know, check. It's, it's that sort of thing. You know, it's it's all like, no, no. But what we should have done, or what should happen, is like, yeah, I, I'm really upset about it. Well, tell me why you're upset, X, Y, and Z. Well, yeah, I'm a bit upset, right. I'll tell you what we'll do today, then. You'll be passenger in car, and if there's a fatal, we won't send you to that. We'll send someone else to that, or whatever. But then other officers might go, yeah, but hang on a minute, I would fail, and I'm fine. Why should I have to do another fatal? So you don't want to burden your mates. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Because these are people that will die for you. These are people when you're in that tea pack at 100 miles an hour, they're rubbing wing mirrors with you and they know that you're going to be there for them and they're going to be there for you. But there should be this element of going, I should be able to put my hand up, tell you how I am without fear that I'm going to get kicked off the roll, without fear that I'm going to get judged by my colleagues. And my team, Team 2, would never judge you at all. They'd never... They'd never say, right, and when you've gone in and when they know about my mum and my dad, I'd go in and say, I'm having enough day to day. Right, don't drive. Come with me and sit in the passenger seat. But then when shit hit the fan, sorry, when the poo hit the fan, <laughs> the um, they'd know you'd have to get out and you'd have to get your hands dirty. Yeah. So you're in that role where you can't just sit in an office. Do you know? Even when you go in, you hurt your back and your legs and you're like limping for two days. Right, am I limping that bad on third day? Getting car. There's no, right, let's give him some therapy, let's give him some real. You're not in that role. So we always used to say that. And I, I say now, these things need to be talked about. Uh, I would say grassroots football, it needs to be dealt with at the start. It needs to be done at training school, first of all. It needs to be done with science inspectors. The roles need to be accommodated because we accommodate everything. Uh, now, you accommodate, um, like, uh, I can't count the words out. You accommodate... Um, uh, rainbow badges, rainbow laces. Yeah. You know, when people yeah, want to yeah, yeah. do that. Yeah. When the um, gay and lesbian groups or associations, if someone wants to do something different, they'll be accommodated. Mm-hmm. I think they started to accommodate uh, not transgender, gender fluid. So yeah. you could have, um, someone might just say, for instance, have um, two warrant cards because they so, don't associate, they're a, a non-binary, I don't understand it, a non-binary entity, whatever it is. So they might have two warrant cards as a male and female. So they come in, but then you say about mental health, right, this is a bit, and it's kind of like there's two old women in an office with these big yeah. books in dust, yeah. and like, well, it's like something out of Harry Potter, and they're like trying to look through, <laughs> not knowing what they're doing. And, yeah. I don't understand what we're yeah, meant to yeah. do with this. Me thinking, this is one of the things that needs to be at the forefront. One in every mm. five officers show signs of PTSD. So that's, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, 10 out of every 50 in theory. That's a lot of offices you work with, that's got. This is not something that gets hid under a carpet. Yeah. And these offices that are having to go out and make life and death situations, we've got milliseconds to think about an incident. They've got days, weeks, and months to pull this incident apart. So these officers need to be switched on enough. They need to have how many days are lost every year through um, sickness, illness, time off. Do you, do you know what I mean? And it, yeah. it's all, all this, I think, can be not saved, but dealt with differently, dealt with at a lower level and dealt with so it's easy for those bobbies to say, look, I'm struggling. And if I if I 
if I had someone like me now saying to me then when my mum had gone and I dealt with a little fatal, this is what's happening to you now, I'd have gone into an office and I probably would have gone then, I want off this role and what I want to do is I want to do something else because if I don't, you're going to break. And yeah. then I'd have known in myself, yeah, I need to be doing do you, And I'd probably still be in the job now. Do you, do you know what, just quickly before I think James, you're about to ask a question, but... Um, that that last sentence you said there was when you said like if 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 I had me back then to tell me what I was going through or to advise me on what I was going through, when like it's it's what I've heard a fair few times when people in other industries or other things are going through incredibly pressurized and stressful times, maybe different actual situations because obviously people don't deal with fatals uh, yeah. like you do in your industry, but it's. The same idea that if I had somebody there just willing to say, right, this is what you're going through, you need to do, you need to think carefully about how, how you react to that, because otherwise things could go wrong. That that seems to be bringing up on a lot of different industries, a lot of different careers. And yet people actually, uh, the infrastructure, the culture to actually do that hasn't yet changed, which is why, I mean, it's why we started this podcast, but it's why... You know, it's brilliant that you're you you're, you're coming out and speaking about it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I suppose Ben, just on um, I'm just gonna reverse a little bit there. Um, I I, I lost my dad two and a half years ago to a, a fatal cardiac arrest. So I I've definitely kind of been in that uh, yeah. that horrible place that you've been in, mate, as well. And I suppose I, I just want to go back to when you had the sudden loss of your mum in hospital. So that was quite an acute thing. Then you had to deal with the your, your dad and the illness there, and then you had the breakdown. Three catastrophic yeah. life cycles, I guess, straight away. When, as you look back now at your acute reaction to mum, then dad, then then work, kind of how how do you feel at the time you handled those situations? Because I, I look back now at when I lost my dad and. No one ever. There's not like a rule book to say this is how no. you react. But I, yeah. I look back now and I, I think I reacted quite well to it. Yeah. I suppose I just want you to reflect on how you yeah. reacted to those three. Um, so being first of all, mate, sorry about your daddy. It's just one of those things it, where, where like you can't ever give anybody any words, and you know, what I mean, you can't. You, you know, once you've been, it's like a bit of a club in it. Once you've done it, you've been there. And you, you know, I know it sounds stupid. You know, there's nothing I can say, but I. I'd give you a, uh, and then you know that everyone's in same. Yeah, you, you I know what you about, think. Yeah, you talk about the club. The um, I, I, when it happened to me, mate, I, I got told, "Welcome to the club," and it's a club you never want to be part of. But, yeah, but everyone becomes part of the club at some. Yeah. Well, this is what I want to say. So, ironically, I spoke to someone um, about four months after my dad died, and a, a close friend, and he just said to me, "How do you feel about being an orphan?" And I like, yeah. It's a weird, you're next now in the food chain. And I think that's a, a massive thing that you have to sort of like step up and take on on your shoulders. Like now my kids look at me um, like I look at my dad. Um, and I don't know if your parents yourselves, but that that role that you fulfill, you sort of like move up mm. the, the, the ladder, so to speak. And it, it, this is what, what I'm trying to say. So I, I'm, 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 I'm the cop. I'm the... I'm the one that when all happens, I deal with it. I'm the woman that deals with the pressure. I, I'm the, I'm the man. Yeah, this is me. Yeah, and then when my mum went, my brother who was a bathroom and kitchen fitter, he just saw like, yeah, and, and I wasn't, and I'm like, and when you said how we deal with it there, this is what's making me think because I won, and I think that's one of the first signs that. And everyone's allowed to take a step back. Everywhere where you've like said pushed forward, I will I was regressing into myself and I, that one of the first things that I thought I'm letting me I'm letting myself down, let my dad down, let my family down. Because so I thought I should have done more, but I didn't and later my brother did it all. And I could see that I was um withdrawing massively. I I can I can see from outside so do you remember? Do you remember the day? Do you remember when it all happened? And do you remember the as soon as the shock starts wearing off, you start like thinking like, right, do I either push forward now and start? We've all got to go through this. We've all got to be this person. We've all got to arrange something. Or we've all, or do you start thinking like, I don't want to know? You switch your Facebook off. You switch your phone off. 
you stay in bed for a few days and you think, I just don't want to face it. And I was, my brother was pushing forward and I was regressing. And I could see that's, looking back now, I could see that I wasn't dealing with that right in first place. Uh, then when the kiddie fail happened, two weeks after the funeral, I think because I haven't dealt with anything from my mum, that was, like you said, the life cycle, that were another massive yeah. blow. Yeah. But when my dad came, this is, it's really bizarre with this, when my dad came to to go, I was far closer to my dad than I was my mum. But we we talked, we, we never let a day go by without us having an hour of conversation for We talked all the time with me and my dad. And we talked about stuff when he was first poorly, middle poorly, really, really near end poorly. We, he arranged his own funeral, we did his own um, eulogy, he wrote his own eulogy, where it's like really comical. So we let a load of demons to rest, like he was saying stuff like a couple of days before, he died, says, I'm really going to miss you. Wherever I'm going to be, I'm really going to miss you. Yeah. And I was saying, well, wherever you're going to be, I'm going to be missing you too. So he put a load of things to bed that I didn't ever put to bed with my mum. Yeah. And I think that were a lot of peace that I got out of myself. So when my dad went, I've, I've never known a void to be as big. If you could put a void up the size of Grand Canyon, it would far, sorry about mine, it would far <laughs> too double size that. And you know, there's nothing you can do to fill this void, don't you? You know, nothing's going to replace that person. Um, but I felt as though the 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 um, I was level with my brother at that time. Uh, I was pushing forward with him, whether he was pulling me, I was pulling him. Because we had no one else. Yeah. We had no one. Like when my mum went, we had my dad and I had Liam. We had no one else. And one of the main things just before my dad died, I think was the day before my dad died, we, oh, it might have been the day that he died, letting cuddle him from one side, I come up and we just said, because it, it was just breathing, it, it wasn't really there. We just basically said, just go, you, you're all right, we'll go, we'll, we'll be fine, we'll stick together, we'll never leave each other, we'll go, you know what I mean, we're, we're brothers till end. And it's made me and my brother become so close, it's been untrue. But I think when my dad went, I think he let him drag me along. It, it was like I had no choice. Leighton's not strong enough on his own, I'm not strong enough on my own. And it, we, we pulled each other forward to be able to deal with it. And I'm glad we did because, and I'm being honest with you, if I were an only child then, I'd, uh, I think it would have been a far worse thing than what we're talking about now and where the journey would be on. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think I didn't think I dealt with my mum in it right in the slightest. Yeah. But I think I dealt with my dad because I had to deal with that. There were no other, there's no wet widies and there's no, there's no, Rocky can hide behind, someone's got to deal with this and there's only me and Leon left now. So, um, yeah. but I can, again, mate, I, I can't, again, it's like being in a club, but as you said, there's, there's answers that you'll know, how you've dealt with things and how you've been with, with it yourself to one thing that you think, could I have done that a bit differently? Should I have done this? Should I have just, should I have a week in bed? Should I have done that? But you don't, do you? you just, you, it's a once in a lifetime thing and deal with it best you can and then I don't think you can be faulted for how you deal with stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because you know, one one thing I noticed when, when it happened with, with my dad is that you realise actually how many people have also lost a parent within your, your circle groups and there were so many people that came out and, and supported me and helped me and it it made me also notice how many people hadn't dealt with their own losses yeah and i'm kind of looking at me and you now and and when you lost your mum you then had to deal with a pretty traumatic experience quite after and it sounds like listening to you reflect now that you you didn't deal with the loss of your mum as well as you wanted to no but but because you'd lost a parent already and then you had the time to process the situation with your dad that that loss of your dad became a little bit easier not that yeah. it's any easier no, no, yeah. the situation was easier and in a way the fatal cardiac arrest with my dad i i received a phone call the morning after a stag do to basically say mate your dad's dead you've got to come home and so i had no time to deal with it acutely or or pre i didn't have any of these conversations with dad but what i did after was and these boys will vouch for me i basically opened my arms and said I'm in a shit place here and I need yeah. I need to talk, I need to have pints with you all, I yeah. need to explode. And and that's where 
I think I dealt with it quite well because I just opened up straight away and I yeah. just normalised the situation of, yeah, dad's dead, I'm going to cry. It, it, it was sudden, I've got to deal with it. And I think, um, I think yeah, my reflection on dealing with that was that being open and talking about it massively, massively helped. And I think listening to you talk about your mum there, that's where that might have been a bit of a hurdle. Yeah. Yeah, for first thing, mate, if I were there, I'd give you a big cuddle, even though you can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the main thing, like you said, is that you actually said, I need to talk. I need... And this is what I can't get to people at the moment now. I will go on national TV and I will not be bothered if I cry. I am not bothered about what people think about me. And this is what really annoys me when people say, you know, do this, do that, you're not bothered about no, I don't care what people think, because what I do care about is the fact when people say, look, put your hand up. Why can't you just do that? Yeah. Why? And what bothers my pee more than out is the fact that when we had someone in car, like on interceptors, and you know the line, you know, and you say, just be honest, and the world be honest. It's the fact of why can't you just say, and you say to your mates, and I need help. If my mates phone me and, God forbid, something happened to one of them, or the family, whatever, and went, I need help, you're there, aren't you? Because you think that's going to happen to me one day. Yeah. yeah. They need that because everyone's mum and dad at some point, it's never bull, someone's going to go. Yeah. Um, so we all know we're in that. So why can't you say the same about your mental health? Your body only goes because your brain tells mm. it to go. It tells, your yeah. brain tells it to breathe, your brain tells it to walk, your brain tells your eyes to open and close, it puts words in your mouth and you talk. So if your brain is not healthy and fit and working correctly, it won't tell your body to do what it needs to do. So if you don't, if you don't look after your brain, if you don't look after your emotions, you're just not going to perform how you want, and then that's going to affect your work, your life, your, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your social stuff, everything about it. If that's not switched on or in its right place, everything's just not going to fall into order, and that's when people go on and self-destruct. Mm. Why would you ever want to do that? I just don't. Just so, so, sorry, Queen, there because the when you said that um, on the back of obviously the the passing of your 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 mum and you didn't have the opportunity to speak about it or didn't deal with it perhaps as as well as maybe you did with the loss of your father. Do, do you think that was built on you being in an industry where the culture was not to speak about stuff? Maybe because you weren't given the time to speak about. Um, kind of how you reacted to scenarios mentally because you were just kind of drafted straight into another job or you were then off work for a couple of days and then drafted straight back in again. Do you think it was, it's the background of 20 years in a culture where you're not really supposed to speak about stuff like that? And you said yourself, like, there's a lot of, you know, look how big my guns are, look how many, you know, whatever pints I can drink, blah, 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 very burly men or laddie type of culture that doesn't facilitate people openly speaking about emotions and stuff do you think that's maybe the the reason why you didn't perhaps revert to speaking about how you were feeling after the loss of your mum and then the second part just quickly is do you think that's a, the the culture in a wider society then is causing this problem especially with men because men's uh, obviously there's huge stats with men struggling with mental health at the moment um do you think the wider culture in society is exactly the same thing? We're suppressing people the ability to talk about stuff, so they don't. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. So the the, the 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 police, how I I see the police and stuff. Yeah, you, you come from that culture, and you, you, it's not something. You, I can be there in front of a dead body in a cheese sandwich, and it just mm. you know I don't. It, it didn't bother me. You don't. Your life is not. You go to fatal and they're all tangled in the car and the scenes all locked up. No one can view. So you didn't care having your dinner. It, it's one of those things where you can smell blood on you. you just, you're in a different world. Yeah. You're in a completely different world. So that to go forward and say, look, I'm struggling, it doesn't come out. And like you said, it's it's spread into you. You, you, you yeah. part machine, part human. Mm. And there's a, there's a line. And sometimes that line gets blurred. But as you said before, it's not just about the police, firefighters, ambulance, paramedics, doctors, nurses, teachers. You can be in any job whatsoever, and your your level of stress, pain, depression, anxiety is all filtered about what you do. You might yeah. be an estate agent, and you might be going through divorce, and because you're not open up and not talking, that's a major issue of the reason why. So, mine was because of the police, 
Um, I think if I wasn't a police officer, when I look back to who I was before a police officer, I'd have talked all day long. Yeah. That's the sort of person I was. I'm the talker. I'd be one of these that... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these that's what I class as being... Uh, how can I put it? Everything offends me. Fresh mm. air offends me. I'm going to pop a complaint about it or all like that. You know what I mean? I'm always the other sort of person that I, I would be at a party and say to my God, Everyone wants you to do the best you can do in life. 
Um, but then every time it comes to everyone talking about mental health, they'll walk away. Yeah. And it's always like this subject of, I'm not saying they don't, but they always think you're just substandard. Mm. You're just not as good. There's always this little bit of a, um, there's someone else mm. to blame. or this. And it's all about every day, you are your own person. You decide what you want to do. If you want to get up in the morning and push forwards in life and succeed, regardless of if you're poorly or not, you'll do it. There's people that, that have got massive mental health issues regardless of who they are and they succeed in life. So just because something is wrong with you doesn't mean it can hold you back. What I've always tried to do is, I know I'm poorly, but what I'm trying to do is control my illness rather mm. than let my illness control me. If I have a wake, if I wake up one day and I'm poorly and I know I'm poorly because I'll start checking, I don't speak to our lass, I don't want any contact, I don't want to be dealing with it, I will just stay in bed. Our lass knows. I'll say to her then, I'm just not feeling well, I'll stay in bed. My mind then, I'm telling myself, isn't my friend that day. So I will say, understand how you feel and crack on. If you don't, you'll end up poorly. If you do and you want to crack on, crack on, but be positive in what you do. If you're getting too much, you're doing too much, you know you need to step back and say, oh, I've done too much yeah. today. But be responsible for yourself. The only reason you are where you are now is because either you've not been responsible for yourself and you've not put your hand up and said, I'm poorly, or you have put your hand up and said, I'm poorly, and then deal with it and put yourself on the right path you want to go on. There's no one can put you or deal with yourself apart from you. You're the person that can stand forward and say, I'm poorly. You're the person that can stand up and say, I need help. So don't blame anybody if you're not doing it mm. and you crumble. You've only got yourself to blame. So we are there saying, I will help anyone, but I don't know you need help because you look normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got yeah. that arm hanging off. Yeah. You've got a big foot on your head. So if you look normal to me, you get treated as normal. If you put your hand up and say, I'm struggling, I'll still treat you as normal because you are normal. Yeah. But we'll know where we can go with you, whether you go left or right, whether you go up or down, whether you go in the middle, just gently, whether you speed up, slow down. It's all about the fact of, I've put my hand up and I've said, yeah. this is how I'm feeling. G so, go on. Well, I was just going to say, mate, because it's that one of my, and this is only a very quick story, one of my best mates who I hadn't spoken to for a couple of days, but I normally speak to very, very regularly, very bubbly lad, hadn't spoken to him for about a week and a half. And I just thought something was a bit up. So I dropped him a message and said, you know, I haven't spoken to you for a little while. What's up? Like, what's going on? And it took him about a week to reply to me. But eventually he just said, yeah, mate, I'm going for a bit, bit of going through the ringer at the minute. I'm struggling a bit. And then from that moment onwards, uh, he, within months, he'd basically talked to me about what he was going through and he'd, he'd then contacted someone to speak about it. Yeah. Fast forward three, three and a half months now, and he said he's in just such a better place than where he was just because, yeah. and it obviously took him a week to build up maybe even the courage or whatever, or just to acknowledge that he was struggling. But after about a week, he just decided to do it. And I don't know what spurred him on, but he just said, yeah, mate, I'm struggling. And then at that point, things things slowly got better, better, better for him. So I just want to say, like, the advice you give there about just speaking, just, just um, whoever to, and just opting just to say, you know, I am struggling a little bit here, actually. And that's the first thing that can get the ball rolling. Um, yeah. And as advice, yeah. I think that's absolutely, absolutely golden and I couldn't vouch for it anymore. Yeah. And just, just, just building on that, Rob, I'm sure we're all part of a number of laddie, laddie WhatsApp groups or, or whatever, but yeah. no matter where you reach out for help, people people will help. I've, yeah. I've noticed that with a couple of pals that I've got, the, yeah, the, the banter or the, the grief we give each other can be pretty brutal at times. Mm. But as soon as someone reaches out and says, you know what, not today, or this this has happened, you club around your mates, don't you? Yeah. And yeah. tying back in what Ben was saying with the people in the police and, and people that he spoke to, that if you let people know what you're going, it's rare that they're just going to turn the back on you. So, yes, yeah, so I really echo that from yeah. Rob and, and from... Um. Ben, I think that's kind of everything we, we well, I mean, it's been one heck of a, an, almost an hour. I mean, it's just brilliant to speak to you because you got just such a powerful story and just a way of telling it that just is pretty like gripping, but just the outlook on, on everything as well. And looking back and trying to use it to drive some change into the industry that you loved 
and just culture in general is brilliant. And um, you've got, so you've managed to turn kind of your story into something positive, as I said, and you've now got a book. Um, and you, like you said, before we came on air, you're writing a second book and you've got a YouTube yeah. channel and you've got yeah. various articles coming out. I think there was one in the Independent this morning as well. Yeah, the Independent's done this morning. Yeah, so um, d- just quickly, uh, just, you know, give everybody like, uh, where can they find a book? Where can they find you and your YouTube channel? And So if you look under Amazon, go to Amazon and type in handcuffed emotions, it comes up either an ebook or a normal book. Uh, paperback you can get one from myself because for some reason people want signing which i don't know why uh, just, dave uh, dave will uh, want one signed yeah so if you want one from me just contact me on my twitter which is um at bs underscore pearson um or if you just type in ben pearson into twitter it should come up um and then youtube if you just type in again ben pearson it's its own channel type in ben pearson intercept it comes up and it's doing really well the positive comments uh, of how much it helps certain people and the next book is called Hotel Tango 23 which is my first traffic call sign and it's just yeah. about again dealing with the first jobs uh, big jobs but how it changes your mental health it's not as in-depth with the mental health as handcuffed emotions but it's uh, it's it's a good ride through the past of policing yeah. and I know what's what certain trick points were and obviously mm. How to look up to stuff and out for things. So yeah, and that, that's me in a nutshell, really. Yeah, but all I want to do is get people talking. Yeah, I can vouch for the YouTube videos and second so Dave because we've been speaking to them over the over the last couple of weeks about how good they are and whatever. And um, we have I've got the book on order as well, so we'll be looking looking forward to to hearing more about your story and, and what you went through and everything. But um, yeah. we do we always just, finish up with there's just sorry Dave, go on. Just a quick one, obviously you're. You're, you're hot, hot property at the minute, aren't you? You're, you're wanted all over the place. I just just wonder if you could provide sort of a real short answer as to, to why you agreed to come on this podcast with, with me, Rob and James. Obviously, you've got some, some pretty big some pretty, pretty big channels that you, you're about to appear on. What is it about what, what we're trying to do that, that attracts us to it? Everything that I like about, um, how can I put it, people that want to help others or show them there's other ways to deal with things sparks my interest. I don't think anyone at all is above anybody else or beneath anybody else. All I think is if you've got a big heart and you want others to understand, that's what draws my interest. Uh, and I, I've followed you um, on Twitter. I've watched what you do. I've listened to your things and I just think, yeah, you, you're great lads. And, I'm just proud of everything that everyone does for mental health. So I want to just say keep it up and keep doing what you do because that's why I'm here. Um, if you, people just want to talk to me about cars, I'd be like, no, well, you know, <laughs> cars are car, really, you know. But um, don't get me wrong, if I got asked to do Top Gear, I'd probably do it. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I just think, like I said, you, you're all out for the right thing. You, you are. You're out to do the right thing. You're out to talk about it. You're out to. Um, bring it up to how it's meant to be so that's why I'm here free pal and I always will be so every time you want me to come back and talk I will do love it mate cheers so we usually just finish we've got five real quick fire questions that we like to finish up on no comment no comment Um, China no comment (laughs) (laughs) and uh, one sent well one one sentence answers or questions as well so um to you, what do you think personal success looks like? If you can wake up in the morning and be happy, you don't have to be rich, you don't have to be poor, but if you wake up and you're happy, you're successful. Okay, and on the back of that then, what makes you truly happiest? Family. Yeah. Um, all I can say about myself is family. Love yeah. and family, that's it. That's nice. what makes me happy. If you weren't in your current profession, probably include obviously being a copper in the back of that, what would you be doing? Apart from stuntman, astronaut, <laughs> and Navy SEAL, um, <laughs> um, what I'd actually probably be doing is tiling, because yeah. that's what I did with my dad. Yeah. But I will probably want to uh, be a business owner, such as either property, Oh, or nice. something like that but nice. I'd probably be a Tyler 
Yeah, okay. Do you believe, and this is a tricky one, do you believe in nurtured development or natural talent? Oh, Christ. Can I have three seconds to think about this? Yeah, 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 by uh, all means. Phone a friend, lad, if you want. Both. Okay. I think, I'm not copying out, I think both. I think there, there is one for, like I said, natural talent. Because mm. people are just naturally gifted at things. But on the other scale of things, if I wasn't gently pushed yeah. where I was, yeah. I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I want to say both. Yeah. If that's okay, can, can I do that? Yeah, we'll allow. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. And then the very, very final one before we let you go. What do you think the most critical characteristic of a successful person is? Whether that be personal success um, or professional, so career success. Yeah. Um, I think to show respect proud of who you are and put heart into things and mm. I think that's about it really you can do anything you want to no one can ever hold you back and if you're not where you are in life you mm. need to change it and be where you are in life if you can't change it there's no point worrying about it but if you can change it change it and if you get there you'll get there with heart determination and respect and that's all that's all I would think about that subject the end summary <laughs> perfect summary well Ben I think on behalf of me, Dave and James, and all the listeners will get uh, who tune in for this episode, mate. We just want to say thank you very much. You got uh, you. a very Can powerful I just, story. I just in. Say, when you said quick fire questions, I thought it wouldn't be milkshake, strawberry banana. No, strawberry. no, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> they're the most, they're the most eloquently put questions I've ever had. To well, you did a brilliant job of answering them. So, congrats. <laughs> Um, but yeah, mate, we just want to say thank you very much because um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And, you know, we the, the first book's done uh, enormously well and I can only imagine the second one's going to do as well, if not better. And we're all rooting for you to, uh, to to carry on spreading the good word about mental health and everything. So so on behalf of all three of us, thank you ever so much. No, thank you. And don't forget, if you, if you want a book, just give us a shout. I'll get you on to you. Ah, legends. <laughs> I'll intro it again and then uh, I'll just raise a topic of culture and then Delboy if you want to go into a bit and then Dave add some if you want, yeah? Okay. So, gentlemen, um, that's the chat with Ben uh, Ben over and, and done with. What did you think of that? Because he's got one heck of a powerful story um, and what a, a brilliant way of, of talking about it and he's obviously done a lot of digging into to the whole scenario himself and what it meant to him. Um, so it was a brilliant episode to have him on. And the thing that, the main thing that stuck out for me was this culture of um, either internal culture, either for Ben himself or the culture of the system that Ben was in, i.e. the police department, that um, didn't facilitate him being able to talk about what he was going through. And whether that culture was internal or system-based, it seemed to me that, that that was the main thing that, that caused Ben a lot of build-up of that trauma. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, Steve. And um, I, look, just from my own experiences, really, and, and this is what I was trying to tease out of Ben a little bit and, um, and discuss with him, but I, I think by the nature of the role that he was in and the, the, the loss of his mum, catastrophic event one, dealing with the, the child fatality two, and then rolling in to fatality three, which was his, the loss of his dad. Like, you know, how, how does someone deal with that, but then go back into work and, and try and crack on and, and process the situation as quick as arguably he needed to? And I think that's what I was trying to tease out around the, the acute loss of, of, of his parents there and, and how important that was in his life. Um, and I think what we heard there was that looking back, you know, Ben um, openly says that the, the dealing of his mum was probably not as effective or optimal as the dealing of the loss of his dad. Um, and I think time was a massive factor there because he had the time with his father to, to, to discuss things and, and arguably normalise the situation. I mean, when you're sitting there with your brother either side of your dad's deathbed saying to your dad, it's OK, go, 
in in my mind there, that's someone who's processed the situation and, and knows how to deal with it. Yeah. Whereas um, comparing that to the to the loss of his mum and then two weeks later having to deal with the child fatality, I think that was just a almost a bipolar situation that was dealt with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can agree more. It's it's literally it was kind of chalk and cheese, and I think the the re the thing that stuck out for me was the talking part of it as well because he obviously had the time to talk with his dad and, as he said, kind of put things to rest a little bit, whereas he didn't with his mum because it was such a um, uh, an acute death that no one saw it coming. But that he didn't afterwards have the opportunity or any room to facilitate talking about it even afterwards and coming to terms with it then. And I think that's built on kind of 20 years in an industry that squashes that... Um, that function really yeah no I, I agree with Robert he's not, not had the, the space or the time to actually process process his mum his mum passing um, he speaks about in his YouTube channel that we all carry carry a rucksack that when we have an event a life event it gets filled with pebbles mm. and eventually the, the rucksack overflows and the pebbles come on the floor and that's that's where he starts to lose, lose track of things and that's obviously for, for him that the third event that James spoke about with the uh, with his dad passing leading to to a breakdown. I think the the interesting thing for me it was mainly around the lack of support from within the culture. That yeah. uh, you meant beginning, Rob, in terms of him having to do six shifts in a row with no debrief time, no decompression time between events, um, doesn't lead to a culture where people put their hands up and say, you know what, I'm struggling. Mm. So I think. Yeah, is it a culture of, of, the, of the people or the environment? I think it's a combination of the two. And yeah. uh, if they're being told to go to work when they're ill, when they're, when they're injured, and he, he makes a really good point around you can't see a mental health illness necessarily. Yeah. So therefore, people may be a little bit um, apprehensive about coming forward and, and talking. And I think the, the overall message that he, that he finished with around just, just speaking to anybody is such a powerful message. Yeah, exactly. The, the, who it, is, it doesn't matter how you do it or how you approach the subject. Just that initial first conversation is the hardest one. Um, and once you've had that first one, the rest of them become easier. Yeah, exactly. I think um, that's a pretty profound, profound way of summarising um, this episode with Ben. And um, we're very grateful for Ben coming on. Um, please do check out his YouTube channel, him on Twitter, because... Um, Dave especially can vouch for how good they are. His book um, would also be a fantastic read with his second one coming out, so do check them out as well. Um, and for more from us, from me, Dave and James, please check out the Mindsign podcast on Spotify or Apple. You can just search us on Google and you'll find us. Um, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at Mindside Podcast. Um, and we will be back in a couple of weeks time with another episode so for now uh from me dave and james that's over and out